Support for Terrestrial comes from Grow Community. Built green homes designed for energy-efficient living in Washington's largest residential solar neighborhood. Located on Bainbridge Island, just a 35-minute ferry ride from downtown Seattle. Learn more at growcommunity.com. I was about 12 years old when my great-aunt Jilda died. She was this tiny Italian-American lady, I mean five-foot-nothing, black hair, sparkly, mischievous eyes. She had an open-casket Catholic funeral, which is how it's always been done on that side of my family. But it was the first one I'd ever been to. I remember walking up to the edge of the casket with my brother and looking in. And there she was. It was Aunt Jilda. But there was something weird about her. She had this foundation makeup all over her face that gave her this artificial dark tan coloring. And then on each cheek, there was this big round circle of blush. She was dead, but it was almost like she'd been remade in Technicolor to look aggressively alive. Looking back on it, it was a really unsettling experience. And I realized that it wasn't just the makeup that upset me. It was how unnatural everything seemed. Great Aunt Jilda's body had been filled with embalming fluid to preserve it. She was then placed in an expensive hardwood casket and put in the ground in a concrete-lined space. And that all masked the fact that not only was she gone, but her body was starting to decay. Today, we're going to look at death. And more specifically, what we do with our bodies when we die. And we're going to look at it from an environmental perspective, because there's a question that some people who study death and burials are asking. What if we could compost our dead? I'm Ashley Ahern, and you're listening to Terrestrial, a show that explores the choices we make in a world we have changed. I adored my great-aunt Jilda. When I was little, she used to sneak me candy from her purse when no one was looking and then just smile impishly at our secret. And when I think back to her funeral, what I most remember is how much I just missed her. I still do. So it's hard to look back at that day, my final memory of her, and think about the environment. But the truth is, what we choose to do with our bodies when we die has an environmental impact. That embalming fluid my great-aunt had been preserved with, it's made with formaldehyde, which is a carcinogen. And in the U.S., we put an estimated eight Olympic-sized swimming pools of that stuff underground in dead bodies every year. And the wood that made her casket? When you tally up all the people who die and choose a wooden casket like hers, we're putting enough wood underground to make an estimated 1,800 single-family homes every single year. Now, think about all the space cemeteries take up. Some big cities around the country have actually banned new cemeteries because there just isn't any more room. There's cremation. My family could have burned Great Aunt Jilda's body instead of burying her, but that would have released hundreds of pounds of greenhouse gas emissions, not to mention small amounts of heavy metals. And all of that is why an architect named Katrina Spade started thinking about composting human bodies. My name is Katrina Spade, and I'm the founder and director of the Urban Death Project. Katrina's designed what she calls a recomposition center, a facility where it would be possible to compost multiple human bodies at a time. I realize this is pretty out there for a lot of people. I know the Catholic side of my family would probably freak. But listen to the way she envisions one of these centers. And remember, it doesn't exist yet. This is just how she imagines it. 
When you open the doors to the recomposition center, the first thing you see is this three-story concrete form. It ends, you can see the top of it. And wrapping around that core is a series of ramps that sort of meander. There's a slight movement to the air, and so the, the air is warm from the heat created in the core. The core is filled with alternating layers of pine chips and human bodies at various phases of decomposition. And it's warm to the touch because of the heat released by those bodies as they break down. Walkways encircle the core, leading from the ground level up to the top. And when someone dies, their loved ones carry the body in a procession up the wooden walkway. And over time, a pathway is worn in the middle of the ramp. And you see behind you and in front of you, like decades or generations of grieving people have worn the floor down, walking their dead to the top of this core. When the mourners get to the top, they walk out onto a floor with one opening, the size of a grave in it. Inside the opening, all you see is a clean bed of wood chips. Friends and family lower the body in on top of that bed and cover the body with wood chips. That's the moment when you say goodbye. But before Katrina can make her vision a reality and actually build one of these centers, there are some basic scientific questions to be answered. How long does it take to fully compost a body? And if you're trying to do more than one at a time, how do you speed up the process and make sure everything, you know, bones, teeth, all of us, breaks down? She's gathered a team of experts to try to answer these questions, experimenting with real human bodies at an outdoor research facility in the hills near Western Carolina University. And I wanted to understand how they're doing this. So I went there to see a body laid to rest in a compost pile. Three meter by 1.2 meter. But I have to admit, I was also nervous about how that would feel to see another human being as they start to go through the natural decomposition process. Several student volunteers were mixing together alfalfa pellets and corn and straw to make this mulchy bed. The man they were going to start composting had died a few weeks earlier in a nearby hospital, and he'd wanted his body donated to science. So I kept telling myself, he wanted it to be like this. He wanted others to learn from his remains. This is okay. But there he was, in an opaque plastic body bag in the grass near our feet. And I just kept asking Katrina questions about the process, right? Because that's what I do when I'm nervous. So what makes a good mix to compost human bodies? Or how high will the temperature spike in the compost pile? These scientific, detail-oriented questions that insulate me from the body bag on the ground next to us. But I just couldn't stop thinking about the fact that there was a human being in there. One, two, three. We laid the bag gently on top of the mulch pile. And then Katrina unzipped it. Okay, looks good. The man was still wearing the hospital gown he died in. His white hair stuck out at odd angles from his face, and his mouth was open. There was a white fuzz of fungus blooming in his eye sockets and his nostrils. My stomach didn't feel right, so I clutched my microphone and I just tried to stay focused. I couldn't help it, though. I wondered about his family, about his wife, and whether she's still alive. What would she think if she were here? Could I handle seeing my husband like this? Mm -hmm. And then we should take off the hospital gown as well. You want everything. 
Yeah. And then the man is naked, just a human body, his ribs jutting upwards away from the earth, his stomach sunken below, and this white flesh, almost like he'd been underwater for a while. I squat down next to him, and at this point I'm wearing gloves. I don't know exactly why, but I reach out and I touch his leg. It's surprisingly soft. The skin's somehow not quite right, though, like not quite fully attached to the flesh and bones beneath it. This man's body is so fundamentally different from my memory of great-aunt Jilda, who looked so perfectly put together at her funeral. As the rest of the team started preparing to cover him with mulch, I just stood there looking. And then I noticed that I felt surprisingly calm. This wasn't such a scary thing. It was just a human being starting to decompose. And this will happen to all of us one day. Nature would take over from here. It already had. Coming up, is composting human bodies legal? And beyond my Catholic family members, how might people of faith see this option? And how will it dovetail with their practices? We'll be right back. In parts of Tibet, some Buddhists practice what are called sky burials. This is a recording of one of them. The bodies have been laid out in an open field, and you can hear vultures calling to one another as they slowly gather around. The birds will feed on the remains until there's nothing left but bones. I remember first reading about this in National Geographic as a kid. But when I think about it now, it's not too far removed from choosing to have your body composted when you die. And as much as the idea of sky burial might be jarring for some Americans, I'd imagine some Tibetan Buddhists might be surprised at the way my family embalms their dead before burying them in the ground. But what about Katrina Spade's idea to compost bodies? How might people of different faiths respond to that? I asked Professor Amir Hussein of Loyola Marymount University in L.A. He studies death and burial practices in the major world religions. For Buddhists and Hindus, he didn't think the idea would be a big stretch. And in many ways, there may be a, a, a drawing to it, uh, you know, this idea of returning back to the earth, this idea of connecting back to creation. In the Jewish and Muslim traditions, burials are pretty minimalistic. It's about returning the body to the earth with the least interference necessary. That's a common thread in the creation stories of both faiths. And there's this lovely story that Muslims tell about uh, God sending an angel to the earth, and the earth, of course, being this autonomous sort of being, not wanting to give up anything of itself. And so the earth says, no, I don't want to give up any of my stuff to make something new. So the angel goes back to God and he tells him, no dice, the earth is not sharing. So God sends another angel and then another one. Same response. Finally, God sends the angel of death to ask the earth for some clay to make people. What that angel says to the earth is, not can I have this, but can I borrow this? Meaning it'll eventually be returned, just like when you compost something, it returns to the ecosystem. But Amir thinks Christians could be divided in how they respond to the idea of composting human bodies. On one hand, he said a lot of the Christians he knows embrace the idea of returning to the earth when they die. You know, the idea of dust to dust. But I could see a subset of my Christian friends going, why would you do this? This is, a, this is an abomination. 
you know, don't you have any respect for your mother who bore you? And to put her, like, in some compost heap where she then goes to, like, you know, feed someone's tomatoes. That's about how I picture a conversation about composting great Aunt Jilda would go in my family. And with death, a subject that we're not great at talking about as it is, traditions are slow to change. But let's just say we do talk about it. Let's say Katrina Spade's idea takes hold and she raises the money to build the first recomposition center. Would that even be legal? The federal government doesn't regulate what we do with our bodies when we die. That happens at the state level, and it varies across the country. So for example, Washington state says you can choose between burial, cremation, or donating the body to scientific study. Other states are more vague, but none of them have composting on the list of accepted ways to dispose of human bodies which means there's also no established permitting process for a facility like this. Then there's the issue of what's left over. What could you do legally with the compost? Tanya Marsh is a professor at the Wake Forest School of Law who specializes in funeral and cemetery law. She said that composting human bodies comes down to a scientific question. Would the compost still be human remains or just compost? The scientific answer is they are not human remains. It's just atoms, right? It's just molecules. Whether or not the law matches that understanding or not is something that we have to look at on a state-by-state basis. But I think clearly from a scientific standpoint, um, it's just compost. So in theory, compost from the Urban Death Project could be used on crops, though it's more likely to be spread over flower gardens or forest land. As uncomfortable and futuristic as the idea of human composting might be for some people, Tanya said that what Katrina Spade is trying to do is actually more of a throwback to the past. Which is more hands-on control over human remains um, in a more environmentally sensitive way. I mean, that's what we were doing 100 years ago. We didn't have them in the structures that she's talking about doing. But essentially what she's doing is trying to recapture something we've lost. The funeral industry, with its open casket viewings and chemical preservation practices, is relatively young. In fact, embalming bodies wasn't popular in the U.S. until the Civil War, when wealthy families began paying to preserve the bodies of their sons and husbands who had died in battle so they could be sent home for burial. Now, there's a $16 billion industry that's grown up around burial and cremation. But does that industry fit everyone's needs today? Or have we been limited in our choices and our opportunities? And I think the historical record is pretty clear that because we have refused to talk about it as a society for a very long time, our choices have been made for us by the funeral industry. I don't say that to demonize the funeral industry. They've filled a void that we've been socially unwilling to fill ourselves. In reporting this episode, I heard again and again from the people I interviewed that we as a society need to talk more about death and what we want done with our bodies when we die. And as we run out of space and resources, having more choices in that department could be important. But I also got to say that these conversations are hard. I tried talking about human composting with my dad, and he immediately started making jokes about Soylent Green. That's that 1970s sci-fi movie where there's this future Earth and all of the resources are gone and people are eating this stuff called Soylent Green, which, spoiler alert, turns out to be made of humans. I mean, he was being funny, right? And I I don't blame him for that. Sometimes it is easier to joke about things that make us uncomfortable or nervous. But I want to keep having the conversation with him because I think it's important, even if it's not easy. And I think this raises a question for all of us that I want to ask you. 
What do you think? Is the idea of composting your body just so tough or icky that you could not get your head around it? Or are you open to it? You can share your thoughts and connect with fellow listeners over at our Facebook group. Just search Terrestrial and it'll pop right up. Our show is edited by Annie Aviles and produced and sound designed by Jonathan Hirsch. Terrestrial was developed with support from the NPR Story Lab. We're produced out of KUOW in Seattle. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks for listening. <laughs>